Well, today in part two, I want to bring you a message entitled, We Are People of Purpose, But We Are People for Purpose. Now, here's the thing. I have good news. In fact, I have the best kind of good news. I have the good news, the definite, definite article, good news. Today, I want to talk to you about the gospel. Now, oftentimes we hear the gospel used or the gospel quoted. It's either like me, you're raised Roman Catholic, and it's about before the priest reads a gospel according to St. Matthew, according to St. Luke. If you're raised on the other side of the fence, the gospel is a, is a proclamation about being saved from hell, from your sins, and so on. And the truth is the gospel is both those things and more. Because the gospel, the word gospel in Greek, euangelion, simply means good news. That there is good news for mankind. There is good news for the world. And today what I want to do in part two, as we build towards our 24th, September 24th event, is I want to talk to you about the good news, how it affects us and our purpose, how, our, how it interrelates with our purpose as we are a church. Now, those who've been coming to Lighthouse for a long time, you know that Lighthouse Church exists to inspire... <laughs> well, points for effort. To inspire ordinary people to an extraordinary purpose in Christ. Understand this. It's not important to me that you can say it word for word. It is important that you get it and it's in your heart. That we're a church for ordinary people, broken people, people who are just trying to figure out life. If you log on to lighthousechurch.ie, what's the first thing that appears? Life is complicated. And we want to help. We're a church that believes that, that God has called us to an extraordinary purpose. But the only way that we can live out that purpose is when we're in relationship with Jesus. So what I want to do as we kind of build on this series is I want to give you three common C's, three common C's as it pertains to this extraordinary purpose. What does it mean to have this extraordinary purpose? And what does it mean for our lives when it comes to our calling? Well, number one, the first common C is this. Common C the promise. Come and see the promise. If you have a Bible, you can open it to John's Gospel, chapter 8. We're going to read uh, verse 31. All of today's notes are in the Bible app by version. If you don't already have the app, download the Bible app by version. Click on more, click on events and find Lighthouse Church and all of today's notes are there for you. But in John's Gospel, chapter 8 and verse 31, this is what uh, is Jesus says. He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Very interesting. Jesus is speaking to the Jews. So everyone who was in Israel at the time that wasn't, that was of, of, of a Jewish origin, basically like many of us who grew up Roman Catholic, we, we put our faith in a system. We put a faith, we put faith in the fact that we were somewhat born into this thing and that being born into like that birthright, being baptized into something would save us. And if we did the right things, good works, if we performed the right rituals, if we did the right sacraments, if we, if we did the right things and we would be Said, well, what happened was, was many of us became frustrated because what was happening in those, in those religious circles and what was happening in reality seemed so disconnected. And there was such a, a hypocrisy with those who were supposed to be standard bearers within that thing and the reality of how they lived on the ground. And ultimately, many who put their faith in that religious system had their hearts broken because religious systems don't save anyone. Well, roll back the clock 2,000 years ago, and it was similar for the Jews in that they were hoping and believing that God would send the answer to, to all their problems in history. And standing before them is God in a bod. It is Jesus. 
and yet they could not see the good news that stood in front of them. But to those who had believed, to those who had opened their hearts, to those who were willing, to those who were curious, to those who were hungry, to those who were humble enough to allow, to entertain the idea that maybe they didn't know everything and they're wrong. To those who believe, Jesus said, if you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. This is very important. Why? Because the purpose of church is not to create a service that entertains people. We're not here to grow the fandom, the fan base of Christianity. What we're here to do is inspire people to be followers. A disciple is someone who follows the discipline, the disciplines, the the lifestyle, the the example, what was modeled uh, to them. And we want to be a church not of fans, but we want to be a church of followers. And what we're always trying to do is inspire each other, encourage each other, help each other as best we can every single day to be followers of... There's many people say, oh, I appreciate God. I like God. They might even say, I love God in the same way they love chocolate or their favorite football team. I attend church. I attend mass. I attend service. I may even give money. Again, even though the, what we're giving to or connected with may not be a religious church like in the old sense, but the point is we're still trying to, through our good works, through our fandom, we're trying to somehow make a way for ourselves. And the truth is this, Jesus is not interested in fans. He has, he has millions of angels in heaven. He doesn't need more fans. What he invites us to do is to trust him and to follow him. Now it's in the context of followership that Jesus says this next verse, John eight thirty two. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It isn't our version of truth, our our perspective of truth, our our opinion of truth. It is the definite article, truth. And right now in our world, there is a war about truth. What is truth? Uh, Post-modernity would say that truth is subjective. You have your truth, I have my truth. And as long as all of our little small t truths can coexist, we can all live happily ever after. But if all our small t truths can coexist, where one truth contradicts another truth, well then both truths are void, meaning there is no truth. And what's the point of even having this conversation to begin with? But there has to be truth. You go, well, I don't already believe that. Well, if I took you outside and said, come with me to the top of this building and throw yourself off of it, because there's a truth, it's called gravity. It's not a law you apply. It applies itself to you. Why? Because it is true. It is a true thing in your opinion, your perception, your orientation, your, your belief system, your, whatever it is, wherever you're from, whatever you're going, it doesn't change the fact that that truth is always true. In the same way, Jesus said, there is a truth for life. There is a truth for eternity. There is a truth that outlasts and everlasting for all time. And Jesus would later on say in the same book, John's Gospel 14, verse 5, I am the way and I am the truth. And I am the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. So what Jesus says, when you know me, when you accept me, when you believe in me, when you hold fast to me, I am the truth. And I have the power to set you free. I wonder what it is you need to be free from today. Next slide, please. Again, what does it mean to be a follower? A follower is someone who says, I don't just appreciate the truth or see the truth. I accept the truth and I submit my life to the truth and I live my life according to that truth. And what we want to be as a church of people in 21st century Ireland, in this crazy world in which we live, not just fans, but our followers. In verse 33, it goes on to say this. It says, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. 
and we've never been slaves of anyone. That's not true. How can you say we shall be set free? So they're saying, hey, we're, you know, again, they're claiming lineage, patronage. They're like, hey, we are the descendants of Abraham. We don't need another truth. We, we, can, be, we can put our confidence in where we came from. Uh, we've never been slaves. Well, actually, they've been sl- if you read the Old Testament, they were slaves loads of times. That ain't true. And Jesus says, he replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now the question is, well, who, who sins? Well, you can almost say everyone sins, and everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Therefore, everyone, in a way, is a slave to sin. Why? People say, oh, I don't want to become a Jesus follower because, you know, Christians are so boring. They can't party, and they can't do drugs, and they can't get drunk, and they can't sleep around, do whatever they want, anyone they want, whenever they want. Like, it's just so narrow-minded Christianity. It's like, well... On the one hand, yes, you can do all those things as a Christian. You may not be a good Christian. It's not like God takes over control of your body and makes you a robot. It's like every day we make choices. Am I a fan or am I a follower? But second of all, which freedom is really freedom? Which truth is really true? The freedom that says, I cannot give in to my urge and desires ever they come, or a freedom, a power, a reality work within me that even though I want, even though I crave, even though I lust, something inside of me gives me the power to say no. Which is more powerful, giving in all the time to every desire, every want, every, every p- opinion, every perception, every peer pressure, or to say something inside of me, it's not of me, it's not from me, it's stronger than me, it's, 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 it's better than me, but it gives me the strength in the face of temptation to say no. The reality is everyone has sinned. Paul would write a whole book called the book of Romans, and he tells uh, the church in Rome and us today, Romans 3.23 and 6.23, that everyone has fallen short of God's standard and therefore a sinner. And the, the consequence, the reality of that sin is that we will die. And death is not just explained in terms of a physical death. It's living in, rea- in eternity and reality without God. And God cares for us. That's why he sent Je- This is why Jesus is having this conversation. Why? Because we are blind to the fact, or maybe we enjoy the fact that we are slaves to our sin, but Jesus came to break the chain. He came to break the yoke. He came to break the thing that locks us in and holds us down and holds us back and to make us free. And not just the fact that we should be free, but also to change our identity. Why? Because so often when you look at counseling, you're counseling someone who's, who's because, who was a victim of sexual abuse or someone who's struck by addiction or whatever it is, very often their abuse becomes their identity. The thing that happened to them or the thing they do to themselves becomes who they are. Here's the good news. Not only does Jesus set us free from the power of sin, but he also changes our identity. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. When God sees broken people, God sees you and me. He doesn't see despicable, sinful, awful people. He sees his sons and he sees his daughters, and he sent his capital S son to pay the ultimate price so that we could come home. This is why we say to the church, falsha avalia, come home, welcome home. We want, you to, we want this place to be a spiritual home for you. Why? <clears throat> because it's more than just a service, it's a family. And the gospel is more than just behavior modification. It is salvation and transformation. The gospel does not make bad people nice. The gospel makes dead people alive. And so Jesus concludes in verse 36. So if the son sets you free the truth, then you will be free. Indeed, it is true freedom. The gospel is the only power that can fundamentally transform a human heart. You can go to all sorts of 
different things to do all sorts of different practices to be, you know, change your behavior, lifestyle, lose weight, find more Zen, take drugs, do yoga, whatever that. You can do so many things in this world. But only the gospel has the power to completely, fundamentally transform a human heart. I stand here as living proof. Why? I didn't want to be a Christian. I wasn't interested in God. I was against the church. I was against God's word. I was against Jesus. But when I had a revelation for myself of his love for me, it transformed my world. And it transformed me. And not only did it transform me, but it transformed all those that I shared that were willing to believe in the name of Jesus. One particular person is my dad. In the parenting series, I told you some stories about my dad. My dad is... Uh, ex-special forces, ex-rock band drummer, ex-1% gangland dude. As you can tell, he's uh, there with my youngest son, Jonathan. And uh, when I first became a Jesus follower, I mean, it was so raw, it was so real. My family didn't know what to do with me. So I got kicked out of my house 16 just because I followed Jesus. And all my friends were like, what the heck has happened to you? And God changed my life. It was sim- simple as that. I believed and he transformed and I was free. And it's funny because you think that people who love you and care for you would celebrate your freedom. But sometimes people are more comfortable with your bondage because it's what they know. But they're afraid of your freedom because it challenges them. And I remember saying, you know, what? I, I, I have faith that maybe my mammy, my mother could become a Christian. Good old Irish mammy. But I was like, there in no way in heck my father will ever become a Christian. As far as I'm concerned, it will be a cold day in hell before he ever opens his heart to God. Plus the fact, I mean... There was so much stuff in our past. Like I wasn't even sure if I wanted him to be a Christian to begin with. And so a year after I became a Christian, it was Christmas time. I was praying and trying to figure out what should I give my dad as a gift. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, give your dad the word. And I said, get thee behind me, Satan. There ain't no way I'm giving my dad a Bible. Are you joking me? Should have beat me with terrible covers off and slapped me silly with them. You know, there's no way. And so I was in wrestling with this leading of the Holy Spirit and Christmas Day came. I'd love to say I'm a hero and I gave my dad the Bible, but I didn't, everyone. I chickened out because I'm a chicken. And it was so bad and I felt terrible And Christmas Day and, you know, St. Stephen's Day or Boxing Day, depending on which side of the line you're from, like all sorts of stuff. And then come New Year's Eve, I said, right, enough is enough. I'm going to just, I'm just going to do it because... I want to know that, you know, when I stand before God one day, I've done my part. So I plucked up the courage, gave my dad a Bible. And I said, Dad, uh, I really wanted to give you the most meaningful thing, something to express my affection and feelings towards you. And I thought about buying some stuff, you know, X, Y, and Z. But I could not shake this thing that I needed to give you, the thing that changed my world, the Word of God. And I wrote in the Bible, the same thing was written, the Bible was given to me, John 8, 32. You shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And I said, two conditions. Number one, don't burn it. And number two, don't use it as a, use it as a beer coaster. You know what I'm saying? Please. And that was that. And my dad received the Bible as you expect most Irish father. Like, uh, uh, all right, uh, son. Uh, thank you. And that was it. And, and of course, I was like, phew. I mean, I'm off the hook. You know what I'm saying? My job is done. Whatever. Fast forward the clock, about six weeks. It was now, I think it was the first week of February uh, of that year. And back then in the little church I was in, I used to play drums. So I was sitting in the front row and the door into the building was like over to my left. So if it was in this room, the door would be there. If you know what I'm saying, I was in the front row. And 
So I'm sitting there, just reading my Bible, getting ready for service. And all of a sudden, the door opens and I look up and I do a double take because it's my dad. And rather than be like, oh, hallelujah, God, thank you, my father's here. I was like, oh, crap. Like, what's wrong? I mean, is someone in trouble? Am I in trouble? Someone's in trouble. Like, what's going on? And he comes over, sits down beside me. And I was like, what the hell are you doing here? And he was like, I don't know. And I was like, what do you mean you don't know? He goes, I don't know. Something woke me up and told me to come today. And I was like, are you high? And he's like, no, no, no. I'm not high. And I was like, what are you? And then, of course, it dawns on me that time that I, my dad combats, you know, tattoos, beard, patches, the whole thing, that I have to leave him and go up to the drum kit where we're going to worship and sing songs like Shine, Jesus, Shine. My dad, like this, in his little suburban middle class church, is going to end up looking at someone funny and knocking them out. I'm like, it's going to be, going to be a death in church. It's terrible. So I'm like having a full-on panic attack thinking, God, why are you doing this to me? Why did I deserve this? And, and just before service starts, the door opens and in walk six bikers. And of course, I see them and I grew up in this kind of gangland culture. So I know that you cannot come into another gang's patch wearing your patches without permission. Otherwise, you're in trouble. So they walk in. I look back. My dad's already gone. So I jump off the drum kit, run around the back to see what's happening. I get there just in time to hear them answer the question, who the heck are you guys and where are you from? To which they say this. We are six Christian missionaries based in Waterford. I'm from Carlo. Waterford's are two hours south. And this morning at sunrise, we were praying, asking the Holy Spirit, where should we go fellowship today? And the Spirit said, find a church in a town called Carlo. I have someone there I want you to meet. Come on, how crazy is that? Don't we're celebrating? And not only that, but it turns out these guys were all veterans too. And so there's a media connection. And over, over the space of literally the next few days, they were talking with dads, wrestling, pushing back. And eventually, but a week later, my father gave his life to Jesus, everybody. He believed, he became a follower. And then throughout his, since that point and now, I mean, God's using to found a Christian addiction center here in Ireland. He's the European vice president of a Christian motorcycle uh, gang. He does prison ministry, works the homeless. He's been to Ukraine three or four times since the conflict started to pray with Christians who are fighting on the front lines. My dad's a pretty cool guy. The point is this. This is the power of the gospel. When I tell stories of my dad, sometimes to you, and you meet him, you go, this can't be the same person, right? Exactly. He's not. He's fundamentally, from the inside, been transformed. Like he hasn't thought, I'm going to be a good Christian, so I can't curse and I can't smoke. And I, rules, 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 rules. That's religion. He believed in the truth. And the truth came in him. And the truth set him free. And now his choice is every single day to stay free. But there is power in the gospel. And the living out of this gospel for us as Jesus followers is our extraordinary purpose. The promise is this. That if people are open to believing the truth, the truth will set them free. Number two, come and see the promise, but also come and see purpose. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, the apostle Paul is writing to a church like ours in, a, in an ancient uh, Turkish city called Ephesus. And he's trying to explain to these first followers, followers, not fans, how this truth thing, how this salvation thing works. He says in verse 8, verse 8, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that any person can boast. 
For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is very important. Again, I could do a whole series on these couple of these uh, three or four verses. But I want to just quickly give you an overview. Here's the sequence, according to Paul, in this chapter of the gospel. One, we are saved by grace. What is grace? Grace is God's undeserved favor. We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it before. We don't deserve it now. And we won't deserve it after. There's nothing that we can do to earn this grace. God is just lovingly predisposed towards us. I've tried to explain this to you many, many times that as a parent, when you meet your child for the first time, it's like, I never knew you, but I always loved you. Oftentimes I'll tell my son, I'm proud of you, son. He'll go, why? Because of who you are and because of who I am. Because no matter what you do, good or bad, it cannot affect how I change about you. Why? Because my feeling, my, my love for you isn't based on you. It's based in me. And because God is good, because God is a father, God loves us. And so he extends this incredible opportunity of grace to those, even when we're sinful, yes. Even when we're angry, yes. Even when we, do, we curse God, even when we curse the world, even when we're against God, yes, 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 yes. You cannot out-sin God's grace. You cannot out-hate God's love. And no matter how far you get, how deep you get, how broken and how hopeless you get, there is always hope and help in the name of Jesus. We are saved by grace. Okay, but that grace comes to us through faith. It's our believing. What is belief? It's a confidence. All of us have confidence in something. Maybe our confidence today is that we have no confidence. We have no confidence in others, therefore we trust nobody. We have no confidence in the economy, therefore we're always trying to make sure we have money. We have no confidence in, in the world, so we're always you know, guarding ourselves and watching, and we're not very you know, open to what's happening. Like, maybe your confidence that you shouldn't be confident in anything. Why? Because once bitten, twice shy. But the truth is this. When you came in and sat in your chair, come on, Dutton Dock, come on, Navin, here in Dublin, none of us like put like a, a block on the chair. None of us like said, hey, you come here, test it out first. I'm not sure. Like you just came in and you just sat down. Why? Because you had confidence in the chair's ability to hold your life. Some people love flying. Other people, other people hate flying. Why? Those who don't mind flying have a confidence that the plane won't crash. Those who are afraid of flying think there's a very large chance this plane will crash. It's the same plane, the same, you, maybe you're sitting side by side. One has confidence, one doesn't. What does it mean to true faith accept God's grace? I have confidence in what? In who he is, in what he's done, in what he's going to do, and what he said over my life. By faith, by our believing, by our, by our trusting, by our putting our confidence in God, we can receive this grace. It is a gift from God, a gift from God. If I just threw you the keys to a brand new car and said, hey, person, God bless you. And just for the record, I'm not going to do that. Uh, if I had a car, I'd give it to you. So, so let's just say I threw the keys to a car and said, just be, be blessed. You're like, oh, well, how much do you want for it? Oh, no, it's a gift. Oh, no, I've got to give you something. No, 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 it's a gift. Well, am I indebted to you? No. When I pay you back? No. What do I do? Receive it. I didn't do anything to work for this car. I didn't do anything to earn this car. I'm not the most worthy person in this room. I'm not even the most needy person in this room. Why me? The answer is, why not you? What do you do when someone gives you a gift you don't deserve? You say, or thank you. Thank you for this wonderful gift. 
saved by grace, true faith, gift from God. But we are saved for extraordinary purpose. Paul says we're saved not by good works, but we're saved for good works. Our place has purpose. Our life has purpose. Paul said in verse 10, you are God's handiwork. That word in Greek literally translates as masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. You are special. You are precious in the eyes of God. And it says, and you were created to good, do, to do good works, which were prepared for us in advance to do. We're, God literally has created you for a purpose. This is why we say in our church that we believe we were made for more. <clears throat> We are made for more than just living, made for more than just eating and drinking and paying taxes and accumulating stuff. We were made for an extraordinary purpose. Not only were we made for more, but we make it very specific. You were made for more. You were made for more. Even if you don't believe today because you're skeptical, looking in, not a believer, understand that your lack of belief doesn't change the truth. You can spend your whole life not accepting, not believing, not wanting the things of God. And that's okay. It's the wonderful thing about God's mercy is God allows us to make choices of free will, but doesn't change the fact that God by grace through sending his son, Jesus to die on the cross wants to set you free. It's a gift, not something you can earn, but a part of that gift is not only are we saved, but then we get to walk out our salvation and make a difference in this world because we have been made for more. Bottom line, here's what I believe. We can never be satisfied. Isn't that what we all hunger and thirst for? We want satisfaction. It's like the last few days in this heat wave, it's happening to us and just single-handedly like wiping out the Irish population. Uh, people are literally melting. It's like you look over to the person, you look back, it's a puddle of water. It's like, where's the person gone? It's like, they're gone. I mean, you can't, you can't get any relief. In the heat. It is crazy. It is, it is so freaking hot right now. And I'm not complaining. Because I know November's coming. That's my saying. November's coming. November's coming. November's coming. Go back in your phone. Look at photos from November. And give thanks to God for the weather we're having. Don't any of you complain. Not from this church, I tell you. But feeling of like you're just thirsty. And you're drinking water and drinking water and drinking whatever else you're drinking. But, but you just can't satisfy yourself because it's just so hot. That feeling being satisfied, that's a metaphor for our lives. The only way that we can experience true satisfaction in our lives is not just when we're saved. That's when we believe in Jesus. Satisfaction isn't being a fan. Satisfaction can only come from being a follower. And followers accept what God has given to them, but they also deploy it in service for the saving of others. Yeah, I mean, you could be grateful, and you can be relieved by what God has done for you, but you can only be satisfied when you take what God has given to you and you use it to help other people. Extraordinary purpose, my friends, is not a destination. It's not a place. So many of us, we think of success as a place, a point in time. One day I will be there and one day I will have these things and then I will be happy, successful, content, satisfied. But understand this. That extraordinary purpose is not a place. Extraordinary purpose is a direction. You can be satisfied today. You can be successful today. You can be content right now. Why? Because you know that I'm walking out God's extraordinary purpose for my life. It doesn't matter what happens to me because I know who lives in me and what he's doing through me. And whatever happens to me, good, bad, or different, God will give me the grace and the strength and the power and the ability and the wisdom. Come on, somebody. And the patience and the kindness and the love and the tenacity to stand up under all that pressure and to somehow persevere. 
And you don't have to wait one day to have or to be or to be in a certain place to experience that sense of satisfaction. You can have it right now. You can be, and every morning we wake up, that's what we're doing. We're, we're making a choice. Will today I be a fan or will today I be a follower? Will I, will I choose steps that are in the direction of God's purpose in my life? Or I choose steps that are in my direction for my purpose in my life. And kind of appreciate God from afar. Toodles, love you, Lord. Thank you very much. Bless my day. Um, here's a better prayer. Rather than asking God to bless what you're doing, ask God what he's already blessed. Rather than asking God to bless what you're doing, ask God, what have you already blessed? Life is so much easier when we live it according to the will and purpose of God. Extraordinary purpose is a way of life that comes from the way to life. And we want people to be brave and bold and courageous and tenacious and to live out their extraordinary purpose. So, you've met my dad, now meet my dad-in-law. They are together. The photo is complete and John's in the middle. And uh, my father-in-law, Raul, is like, oh, shout out to Raul and in Navin location, mom, we love you guys. My mother-in-law, in Portuguese, you say, I, in Portuguese I call him Sogrão, and I call my mother-in-law Sogrinha, which means my big father-in-law and my little mother-in-law. Not because he's small, but because she's cute. Anyway, point is, uh, so my father-in-law got saved at 16 years old at a youth camp in Brazil. Some American people came along and preached the gospel and he opened his heart and he believed. But he did not follow, he was a fan. And he spent the better half of 30 years being someone that was not living out actively his faith. He always had reserved his heart a, a reverence for God, but never really followed Jesus. It wasn't until in his mid-40s that he, God did something in his heart that made him want to come back to church. In fact, he would say that he basically realized that his whole life from 16 to 40 was going around in circles and getting nowhere. Yes, he may have accumulated wealth and possessions, but internally he realized that in terms of significance and satisfaction and purpose, his life was going nowhere. So he decided, I'm done being a fan. I want to be a follower. So he found a local church. He got involved. He plays guitar in the band as a mother-in-law also sings. And one time when uh, his pastor was away doing a missions trip, he asked my father, would you lead the missions prayer meeting? He said, of course I will. So he led the missions prayer meeting. And one night someone got a word from God that he and his family should sell everything they have and go to Ireland. How many know it's easy to give that word? It's not easy to receive it. So I don't know what he was thinking. If it was me, be like, okay, Lord, pray for that crazy woman. She's obviously demented. Um, and that was that. Until some time went by, and then one night at prayer meeting as well, this, this van shows up and these Americans are like, hey, we've been in the area, saw the lights are on, can we come pray with you? And they're like, sure. And in that prayer meeting, someone else, completely strange, from another part of the world said, I have this word from God for you. God says you're supposed to go to Ireland. Now, let me just pause the story for a second. Up until this point, like my father-in-law and, my, and my, my wife's family had never owned a passport, never left their country, never even been on an airplane, spoke negative three English, because zero is neutral, negative three, okay? And had no, they weren't going to be supported. It wasn't like their church was going to pay for them. If they were going to do this, they were going to do this. So my father had this crazy moment of obedience where he realized, you know, if I'm going to be satisfied, if I'm going to live out my extraordinary words, I have to obey the call of God. So he sold everything he had, packed up his family, which included my wife, who at the time was like 14 years old. Not that I married when she was 14, just saying. I hadn't met her yet. And they moved to Ireland. That word of English. First on a plane with a bunch of suitcases to come here and help people in Ireland find Jesus. 
And it wasn't even like he was going to lead a church to be a pastor because he wasn't. He was going to get a job, work in manual labor in a factory, as my mother-in-law did as well, and they would serve in a very small local church, the same local church that years later my dad came to faith in, I came to faith in, and many others, and just sowed his life in service. Not that his name would be great or his legacy would be great, but that God's name would be great. And the name of Jesus we lifted up in this island. Fast forward the clock all these years later, Everything you see right now wouldn't exist without them in this church. I wouldn't be here. My dad wouldn't be here. Pastor Sam wouldn't be there. None of this would have existed, plus many, many more things, if it wasn't for the obedience of that couple. My father, my mother, we love you, we bless you, and we honor you, and we want to be like you. Aiz me a key. We want to be like you in answering the call of God and being, and being, un, being dissatisfied with the comforts of this world but hungry and longing for a greater calling, for an extraordinary purpose. So come and see the promise. Come and see the purpose. And third and finally, come and see the possibility. Let's go into the Old Testament now. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 2 to 4. The prophet Isaiah is writing to the Jewish people before the coming of Jesus, basically prophesying that from you know, Israel's barren state, from their brokenness, from their, they've ne- never been as far away from God as they are in this moment in time, God was going to do something miraculous in sending the Messiah. And so almost like a prophetic call, Isaiah challenges his people, first, the first hearers, first listeners, this word, to make space, make room for what God was going to do. But fast for the clock, 3,000 years later, and here we are, and this word still has prophetic purpose for us. It says in verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left, your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. Come on, somebody. Do not be afraid. God's word for you today is don't be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace, for you will not be humiliated. The same prophetic call to the Israelites heard this is the same prophetic call to action for us today. God is about to do something. God is about to do something, and there's a call for us to act. What is the action? The action is we are to prepare a place for people as if they were already here. We're called to prepare a place for people as if they're already here. What is that preparation like? Number one, he says, stretch your tent, which sounds easy. Has anyone here ever stretched before? I know some of you all are like really gifted with flexibility and you're really good at stretching. I have no flexibility whatsoever. I am terrible at stretching. I mean, like people laugh. I can't even touch my shoulder. Look at that, buddy. I'm really bad. In fact, when I used to compete athletically, I would do these stretches and people have to sit on me to get me into a stretch. That's how bad I am. I hate stretching. But after you've stretched, right, it's almost like, wow, I didn't know my body could do this. I feel so liberating. And it's like, wow, I, I, I'm not, at first there's this comfort. At first there's a certainty. If you're me and you're kind of doing some hamstrings, like, man, I might rip my hamstrings off. Like, there's fear. And all of a sudden, this capacity you didn't know you had happens and now you're in the stretch. And not only do you feel better in the moment, but actually afterwards you can do things you never thought you could do because of the stretching. And God is saying, I want to stretch your hearts, Lighthouse Church. I want to stretch your minds. 
I want to stretch your capacity. I want to do something in this church that will make my name great. People will look at you and say, there's no way those guys did that. You just, I guy can't even touch his own. Like, there's no way. That's the point. It's not by might, not by strength, but by God's spirit declares the Lord. And we can't manifest it. We can't make it happen. We can't manufacture it. All we can do is allow the Holy Spirit to stretch us. Stretch us. Now, you think, well, okay, I'm willing to be stretched. But to a point. Because there's a point where it's going to become hard. There's a point where it's going to become difficult. And I don't want to be stretched past that point. What does God say? Stretch your tent and don't hold back. Don't hold what back? Don't hold anything back. If we're going to trust God for great things for our church, we've got to trust God for great things in our lives. I was mentoring a pastor this week, and he was going through a difficult situation financially himself, personally. And he was ringing me for some advice, and I suppose he was hoping that I would give him a quick solution. And I didn't. I told him the truth. I said, to him, I said you can never lead your people to a place you've never been before yourself. You, you cannot lead your people to trust God for great things if you yourself have never trusted God for great things. Now, I know after the fact, it's an amazing testimony. I went, oh, wow, it's amazing. But when you're in it, it sucks. It's so hard and so bad because there's the what ifs. What of this? What of that? What of the other? What if, and it's like, oh, no, no, I'm not doubting. I'm just, I'm just questioning. Okay, questioning what exactly? Are you, are you questioning the uh, practicalities of how the miracle happened? That's, I wouldn't advise it, but, I, but it's okay. Or are you, in essence, questioning the nature and ability of God? God wants us to experience his power like us, church. But for that to happen, we just stretch. Why? Because he's too big to fit in our little hearts. We need to be stretched. And what he's saying is that if you trust me and you allow, you allow me to do this, you will reach a place in, in relationship with him and in satisfaction with life in serving and making a difference that you've never been before. What that looks like is we've got to lengthen our cords. In our context, that means services. Like we, we want our Sunday experience to be as open and as inviting and as welcoming. If you're in any one of our locations right now and you're here, it's your first time, you're not a Jesus follower, not a believer, not even interested, I'm so glad you're here because hopefully something of today will at least have helped you or inspired you or given you a little bit of hope. We want to make our services so much wider, but at the same time, we must also strengthen our stakes. That's why we're so committed to connect groups. And in just a few weeks, connect groups will be launching again. We want people not to attend a service, but to be part of a family, be connected together as church. And finally, have no fear. Have no fear. I posted a photo the other day on my Instagram account of my two-year-old son, Jonathan, jumping off this very large wall down by Hoth Lighthouse. And what happened was, as we were walking out along the pier, some of you know the pier at Hoth, walking out, he was jumping off smaller things and bigger things, and he was kind of slowly working up the courage to jump off bigger, bigger. At the very end, as we came back, he found this really big wall, and he's standing on it, and Ludden, the boys, went a bit ahead, and she looks behind and says, don't let him do it. I said, and he's standing there, and I said, son, be careful, but don't be afraid. And before I even finished the sentence, because he's crazy, he jumped straight off that thing, and he landed on his feet and rolled over and tumbled and all this kind of stuff. I got back up then. Because without thinking, sometimes as parents, we condition our kids to fear. To step out and try to risk something. You say, don't do it, you'll fall. Don't do it, you'll hurt yourself. Don't do it because this. It's like, well, 
yes, there's risk, but like better teach them to be careful, be ca- according to their age and stage of life. But if my son had a flamethrower, I'd be like, hey, son, be careful. I'm, I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? You have to, please use wisdom, what I'm saying. But ultimately, God says, do not be afraid. We can have confidence in his power and ability. So, shift gears, turn the corner. So what does that mean when it comes to vision? Do you see what I see? You know, let me just give you an example of some of the ways this has worked out recently in our church. And again, we usually we do a full vision sun this time of year. But Pastor Randy come on last week, we kind of changed our plans. And we'll do a full vision Sunday on the first weekend of March 2024. But just very briefly, here's some things God has done. Our Brazil team went to Brazil. Come on, somebody. And on our behalf, through your generosity and prayers, did a whole bunch of stuff. And I was talking to the different members of the team and hearing feedback on what happened. And, and one of the most powerful things that happened was when they went to that orphanage that we helped raise money for. And the team were like, listen, it wasn't an orphanage. It was a shed. It was a barn. It was so heartbreaking, so disgusting, so undignified. And our team were able to go there and bless the kids and you know, cause them to smile and, and practically do some things to help them. And even though those kids may not love Jesus, know Jesus, find Jesus, they will, also, they will always have the memory of a bunch of people who selflessly gave their time, energy, and money and came to their country to do something for them to practically show them the love of God. It was such a great trip. We're so thankful. And that means that next year, by God's grace, we're hoping to send out two missions teams, one to Brazil and the second to East Timor. You're thinking, where is East Timor? Exactly. So the Avengers types are going, sign me up. Also, our youth ministry, we're so proud of Matthew and the team for the amazing work they do in our youth ministry in Lighthouse Church. Matthew brought a great word here at the end of July, encouraging us. And then, of course, we had our post camp. Uh, Pastor Sam is the National Youth Coordinator at CCI. An amazing few days of just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young people from our churches finding, following, growing, trusting God. It was amazing. It was the first year my oldest son went, and I was so proud to see him there and just so grateful to God for all the amazing work that's happening in our youth ministry. Of course, we have our kids' ministry uh, in all three locations. And uh, we had our kids' fun week uh, at the beginning of July. And again, you know, well done to the team, Anna, to Jake and Dundalk, and to Sarah and Navin, and all their teams. For the ma- these, these guys are our heroes. Every single week, they're creating a safe, excellent, fun-filled, faith-inspiring environments so our kids, our little ones, can be, can be inspired to their extraordinary purpose in Christ. And I want you to know that as the pastor of this church, We don't just tolerate your kids or babysit your kids. We invest in them. We love them. They are are more important. What happens in kids' church is more important than the sermon. They are the future of everything that we have. And we want to thank you for trusting us with your kids. I want to thank all of our kids' teams, come on, for the great work that they do in doing that. Another part of our church that is not often talked about publicly is, of course, our care ministry. And in the last few months, you know, it's been so interesting because on the surface, the weather's been great and life has been good. But under the surface, so many people in our church have been struggling with, with homelessness, with, with, with just basic needs, uh, being, you know, single mothers, all these different things. And I know we don't celebrate every week, but let me tell you something. Every single week in our locations, people are loving, praying, visiting, cooking, sending, doing whatever we can practically to make sure people don't just know the love of God, but experience the love of God. Why? Because we're a family. I want to thank every single person in our churches who behind the scenes 
in a nameless sense, an anonymous sense, are busy caring, loving, working for those that are in need. So come on, show our appreciation for all of our care ministry. And of course, we have our connect groups. Pastor Junior and Lou are so grateful uh, for our groups. We cannot wait for groups that are launching at the end of this month. If you've never been in a group, here's God's will for you. Get in a group. If you have been in a group, here's God's will for you. Get in a group. If you're really experienced at being in groups, here's God's will for you. Lead a group, okay? We don't want to be a church that meets on Sunday. We want to be a church that is family throughout the week, mixing, connecting, supporting, loving, and doing life together. And the purpose isn't the group. The purpose is to make friends, or in this case, be a family, because these literally are a family. God bless Venezuela. And, uh, and we want this reality to be the reality for everyone else, that we can find our place in this family. So, uh, but beyond that, we also want to talk about our location. So our Navin location are now six months in the school. I was there two Sundays ago, got to be there in person. Love all of you, my Navin family. It was so good to be with you. God bless you guys. And uh, yeah, come on, show our love and appreciation, Navin family. And really, really what was in my heart when I was there Sunday was opportunity. I just could sense God saying, there is new opportunity in Navin for growth. God wants to do something in a new season, in new season. And so I'm so excited for Pastor Sam and all the team in Navin location that God is going to do something incredible, extraordinary in our location in the coming months. Of course, for us in our Dublin location, uh, you know, we've had an incra- crazy season of growth. It was only a year ago that we were in this position on Vision Sunday, trusting God for maybe we take the ice sense and maybe people will come and maybe we could afford it and no one was here and there was no money. I'm doing it anyway because the Bible says do not fear. So we didn't. And here we are. And a year later, it's like, man, God somehow supplied the need and it's full. So what now? So for us on the 24th of September here in Dublin, we will be launching two services. Everybody, come on. Two services. We're stretching that tent. Eh? We're stretching that tent. We're making space. We're going we're gonna to act as if they are coming. We're trusting God as we pray, invite, and bring that you know, people will come to this place and they will find and follow Jesus. And of course, last but by no means least, we have our knock location. Come on. So proud of Rebecca and Yuli and all the team there for an amazing job you guys have been doing every week. There's some great stories of God working and moving in that location. And man, I just think, you know, as I pray and think about the dock, I just sense the Lord saying, just go for it. I mean, if, if God had an Irish accent, which I believe he does, he'd say, give it a lash. Like, just, just go for it. Just, just find out where the limits are because God loves the towns and dock. God loves the people of County Louth. And God wants to do something, not just in Lighthouse Church, because we're a kingdom church, but in all of his churches in that area. And it's such a privilege, isn't it, to have a part of our family in that place reaching people who are far from God. Now, practically two last things that we're going to pray. What's happening next is on the 24th of September, we are doing an event called Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. There's this kind of band, most people don't know them. They wrote a song about this. You two, Bono. I'll try my best not to sing it. <laughs> it's like a near the tune. No, no, no. Anyway, so uh, our false team right now in all three locations, can you just go ahead and start handing out these invitation cards? Uh, and if you're a part of our church family, just grab one. If you're not part of your family and want to grab one, feel free. There's no pressure. But really what this invitation card is, is as I've often said through the years of this church, it is like seed. In itself, it's nothing. It's just a printed and laminated piece of paper. 
But when we pray over these cards and we courageously and prayerfully give them to people with an invitation, hey, why not come along to this? People go to so many things. There was, you know, sports events. There was such a picnic. There's events in the city. There's a business expo this week. There's so many things happening. Why not give people the opportunity to at least come and see? Who knows what God might do if they come and see? And we're not trying to manipulate or make anyone do anything. We're just saying, would you be open? Because we believe that Jesus loves you, that he is the truth. And if you believe in him, the truth will set you free. So on the Sunday, 24th September, in all three locations, we're going to be inviting our world. We're going to stretch. We're going to be courageous. We're not going to hold back. As we sow these seeds, that's our part. We're going to trust that God makes them grow. And hopefully, in Jesus' name, in the coming months, we'll hear stories of people's lives having been transformed because of that. I know that I wouldn't be here if someone hadn't given me an invitation. I know my dad definitely wouldn't be a Christian if I hadn't plucked up the courage, despite my cowardice, to invite him also. Who knows what God can do to the power of a simple invitation? And beyond that, as you approach the end of the year, we will be doing Christmas at the movies again in December, everybody. Come on, popcorn, Coke. It's going to be a great few weeks. Again, a big opportunity to invite everyone. But here's the point, because time is gone. to wrap this up. As we think about all that God has done, even just since the last Vision Sunday, not even like in general, just like since last March, all that God has done, Navin getting to school, then Doc being launched, Brazil team going out, Kids Fun Week, all the care, all the prayer, all the counseling, all the reaching, all the growing. As, as we consider everything that God has done, bottom line is, we are thankful. We are thankful. We are so thankful that in spite of us and with us, God is doing something great in our generation. We are thankful for what is gone, but we are tenacious for what will come. We're not going to sit and wait for the future. We're going to go get it. We're going to sit and wait for revival. We're going to be it. We're going to act as if what God says is real until reality proves us wrong. And we're going to keep making space and keep trusting and keep going and keep growing and keep doing whatever we can do, endeavoring with all our ability, all our time, all our energy to glorify the name of God in our lifetime. As we stretch, God will strengthen and as we go in faith, God will make us grow. So I invite you to come and see with me the power of your extraordinary purpose, the power of God's word, the power of the gospel, the power of the name of Jesus that brings freedom. As we believe, as we put our confidence in that, as we walk in extraordinary purpose, watch what God does.